Isn't it good to be in the house of God tonight? Amen. I can tell you with a surety, I have checked the radar just a few moments ago. There is no precipitation anywhere, amen, around us uh, uh, up in north in Missouri. They're still getting some, but it really hasn't started. It's just not very far north of the state line, but it's not anywhere in Arkansas yet. We're in good shape, amen. amen. I believe there's enough time amen. for the Holy Ghost just to move in this place. I believe there's enough time, amen. I, I know, I feel certain in my spirit that God has been moving us, that God has been shaping us, that very direct words have been spoken into this congregation since the first of the year. I really feel like God is doing something wonderful in this house among this people. And I'm asking you, amen, that right now that you would lift your heart to heaven and you would tell him, say, Lord, I want you to speak into my life tonight. Lord, I want you to speak a word to me. I want you to touch me. I want you to change me, God. Uh, amen. I need to be changed by the presence of God. Come on. I don't need to go home the way I came. I, I need something inside of me needs to be touched by the hand of God uh, that I would never, ever be the same uh, again. Uh, in Jesus' name, uh, would you tell him, Lord, that's what I want. That's what I want, Jesus. Amen. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. One verse of scripture, first Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. Didn't the youth group do just such a wonderful job? Amen. I am so excited. Amen. About what God is doing there. And I, I am, I am just, I, I can't say enough good. Amen. About what God is doing to all the young people. Amen. How he's blessing and working and and and, and I, we we uh, the, so many things have happened to enable what God's doing. I, I'm excited to have Peyton on the keyboard, Amen. I'm excited to have our own guitar player, Clayton, Amen. I'm excited that we have young people that are willing to sing, and that we got adults, Trent and Adrian, that are willing to come down in and practice with them, and meet with them. And Tim and Renee, I know, have had some to do with it. I'm just thankful for it, Amen. I want to give thanks to God, Amen. And I want to thank those of you that are helping enable our young people. People to be used in ministry. Amen. First Kings chapter 18, beginning with verse or reading verse 30, it says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I want to preach for just a few moments this evening on this title, Rebuilding Your Altar. Rebuilding Your Altar. Would you pray with me, Lord, right now? Amen. We come to the very most important part of this service tonight. Uh, and I feel the unction and anointing of the Holy Ghost moving uh, in this place right now. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus Christ uh, that you would move us, God. Uh, that you would stir us. Uh, that you would challenge us. Uh, amen. I'm asking God that you would do a work on the inside. Uh, that something would change uh, in our heart, uh, in our mind, uh, in the way we look at things, God. Uh, that we would 
would come to realize how desperately we need you, uh, how desperately we need your anointing, uh, that you would send something in motion uh, in this house tonight uh, that would forever change uh, the direction and the destiny uh, of this church. Uh, I'm asking God you let something be birthed uh, in this place, Lord, uh, tonight. Uh, amen. That would forever change us, Lord, uh, in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. I am not going to take the time this evening to retell a very familiar Bible study or Bible story in all of the detail that I know that you already know. But I will briefly fill you in on what is happening in the events that surround our text. A king, Ahab, has risen to power in Israel, and along with his wicked wife, Jezebel, he has led the people of God into the worship of false gods, uh, and, and, and not, as if that's not enough, he has even set out to murder all the prophets of the one true God. But there was one particular prophet, that was a thorn in Ahab's side. God used Elijah, and Ahab, no matter how hard he tried, could not lay a hand on him. God knows how to take care of his own. Amen. I said, when the full force of government's hunting him, uh, when all the military and all the powers that be and the rewards are there and everything uh, is stacked against the man of God, God knows how to shut him away somewhere and feed him with ravens. Uh, God knows how to take care of him and hide him away and preserve him, uh, and not just him, uh, but thousands of others. God knows how to take care of his own. Amen. Our text takes place as the conflict between Ahab and Elijah comes to its climax. In a dramatic episode under the instructions of God, Elijah comes out of hiding and sends word to Ahab, here I am, come get me if you want me. Amen. I'm ready for a showdown. And so Ahab brings all of his priests, uh, which worship the false god Baal, and meets Elijah on Mount Carmel. It was a great supernatural showdown where the God of Elijah was to be proven against the false gods of this world. You will remember the story from Sunday school. The prophets of Baal went first. They prepared their bull and they placed it on an altar for Baal and then they prayed to Baal asking him to send fire down upon the altar. The word of God says that they prayed all morning long and nothing happened. Then they prayed until the noon hour. They cried out for Baal to hear them and answer their prayer, but nothing happened. They even danced around the altar. Some people can't even dance for God. 
but they danced around the altar of false God who couldn't even hear them, who wouldn't even hear them, who would never answer their prayer, but they made idiots out of themselves. Uh, they danced and they worshiped. Uh, they got beside themselves. Uh, I'm going to tell you something. God's been better to me than Baal was ever to them. Uh, amen. If they've got a reason to worship, uh, if they've got a reason to dance, uh, if they've got a reason to act the fool, uh, then I've got a reason to praise my God. Uh, amen. I got a reason to lift my hands, uh, to lift my voice, uh, to dance a little bit, uh, to shout a little bit. He hears me when I call his name. Uh, he hears me when I lift up my voice uh, in trouble. Uh, amen. He's always there for me. They danced and they cried and they shouted, but they received no response. And the Bible said about that time, Elijah began to tease them. Uh, he got up and he began to mock them. Uh, he began to tell them, why don't you shout a little louder? Uh, hey, I'm sure Baal hears you. I'm sure that he's a God. Perhaps uh, he's got too much to think about. Maybe you need to get his attention. Uh, maybe he's just busy right now. Maybe your little false God is going away on a trip somewhere. Maybe you need to come back next week and maybe he'll hear you or maybe, maybe he's sleeping. Why, why don't you shout a little bit louder? Why don't you get a little bit more vocal? Maybe you need to wake him up. And so the Bible said they shouted louder and louder. They continued praying and shouting with all of their might until it was evening time. And they never got an answer. And when they finally gave up, Elijah, the Bible said, gathered the people unto himself. Come near to me, he said, and help me repair the altar of the Lord that is broken down. The nation was in the grip of sin and idolatry. They were on the brink of the terrible judgment of God. And this great prophet was about to demonstrate for them the power of God and call them back from the brink of destruction to a place of repentance. But the first thing he does is to point out the fact that the altar is broken down that the altar needs to be repaired. They need to rebuild the altar. There is a significant link between the condition of the altar and the condition of the nation of Israel. There always has been. Throughout the record of the Old Testament, the condition of the nation of Israel could be judged by the condition of her altars. When Israel would neglect the altars, when Israel would neglect the house of God and the things of God, when she would turn her back on the worship of God, the nation as a whole would fall into a state of spiritual decline and they would free fall into sin and hypocrisy until they would reach a place Place of absolute apostasy where they lost out with God. That kingdom of priests, that nation that was chosen by God, his elect people would always drift into bondage and sin and idolatry when they abandoned their altars. The reason why the altar 
is the best barometer of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel is that the altar is the place where God has chosen to meet humanity. The altar is where God deals directly with people. And when the altar is neglected, when communion with God no longer matters, that's when sin rises up uh, in the hearts of the people and begins to reign in the midst of a nation. The book of Proverbs, the writer says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The record of scripture bears that truth out. When there was an active altar in Israel, there was righteousness and they were an exalted nation. But when the altar no longer held a prominent peace, a prominent place in, in the heart of the people of Israel without fail, that is when sin uh, would come in uh, and would rise up uh, and would bring a reproach uh, upon the people of God. I cannot overemphasize tonight just how important the condition of the altars were to the success or failure of the people of God. The altar is the place where heaven meets earth. The altar is the zip code where God meets man and where man meets God. Uh, it's at the altar that God speaks to us. It's at the altar that God touches us. It's at the altar where God changes us. Uh, and the altar was never supposed to fall into a state of disrepair. It was supposed to be the central part of their lives. The altar was intended to be a place where they went every day, a place of daily sacrifice. It was a place for men to be daily reminded uh, that their greatest ambition in life was to be a servant of God. It was at the altar that the nation of Israel was reminded that they didn't become great by their own power. It was the altar that reminded them we didn't get here by our own hand. Uh, they, it was the altar that, that constantly served uh, as the reminder that they didn't owe their greatness uh, to the strength of their armies or to the skill of their warriors. Uh, their greatness wasn't in their natural resources or the wealth that they may have amassed. Uh, the altar was about reminding them that the thing that made them great uh, was the presence of a holy God that abided in their midst. It was him that made them special. It was him that made them powerful. It was him that set them aside and set them apart from every nation on the face of this planet. They owed every victory to him. They owed every blessing to him. They owed every treasure to him. They owed every good thing in their life to the presence of God. And the altar reminded them of that. It was God, it was their service to him that had exalted them above the other nations. It was God that had set them apart, that had provided for them, that had made a way when it seemed like there was no way. And the altar served as a daily reminder not to rely upon themselves, uh, not to rely upon their own strength, uh, not to depend on what they could do, but to remember uh, that the presence of God uh, was their greatest resource.
Other nations had their wealth, and other nations had their spices, and other nations had their water, and other nations had their grain. Uh, amen. But Israel's greatest resource uh, was the presence of God uh, that dwelt behind uh, the veil uh, in the holy place. Uh, amen. And that altar was the reminder, amen, that when they neglected it, they neglected the source of their blessing and of their strength, and of their power. I cannot tell you tonight how excited I am to have these altars in this sanctuary. I was thrilled this morning to see folks kneeling and praying at these altars. Now, I recognize that we've been in this building for four years, and we haven't had altars like this in, in the last four years. We've been using the front pew, and we've been using the pulpit for, for years now as altars, and there's nothing wrong with that. I even understand that these altars aren't big enough for everybody to get around. We, we did that Sunday night, and we, I think everybody got around them, but it was, it was quite a bit crowded. Amen. So we'll still be using the front pew, and we'll still be using the pulpit, or the, I mean the platform. We'll, we'll still have uh, another place where people bow and pray, but it, it excites me tonight, uh, amen, that there are altars in the house of God again. It thrills me that they're here because I don't want ever to send the message uh, that this church uh, does not value a special place uh, where God meets us. Uh, I don't want to ever send the message uh, that this church doesn't set a priority upon that place called an altar. I think it's a good thing to have an altar in the house of God. I think it's a God thing uh, to have an altar in the house of God, to make it a priority, to reestablish the presence uh, of altars in our church. And I also feel very strongly that as we do that, as we reestablish the presence of, of altars in our church, uh, that it is a good time uh, to reestablish the priority of altars in our personal lives. Listen to me, folks. You need an altar. You need a place where you can meet with God. You need a place where God meets with you. Amen. You need a place where you can stand in the presence of God and experience that the, the, the touch of God that you can't find anywhere else. You need an altar in your life. Your altar may not be made of oak like these are. They're absolutely beautiful, made out of the old pews. Amen. I'm very excited about them. Brother, Brother Donnie just has done a tremendous job, amen, both in the fit and the finish and, and everything about them. But your altar may not look like these altars. Uh, it may not be in a church house like these are. Your altar may be an old chair in your living room, or it may be a place beside your bed, or it may be a bench in your workroom. Uh, it doesn't really matter where your altar is. Uh, it could be anywhere but you need an altar uh, you need a place uh, where you meet God uh, you need a place uh, where God meets you uh, amen you need a place where you can pour your heart out to God uh, and you need a place uh, where you can listen uh, to the voice of God uh, as he speaks into your life uh, you need to make sure that you have an altar in your life and whatever you do don't neglect your altar. Make sure it doesn't fall into disrepair. 
Listen to me tonight. If your altar has been neglected, if it's old and broken down for lack of use, it is time to rebuild the altar. It is time to make it a priority to rebuild your altar. The Holy Ghost has instructed me tonight uh, to tell this church uh, that it is time that we put an emphasis uh, on rebuilding our altars, uh, that it is time uh, to reestablish the importance uh, of altars in our lives. Let me tell you something about altars. They were supposed to be used every day. Not just once a quarter, not just once a month, not just once a week. An altar was intended to be used daily because everything that is important in a life of a child of God happens at an altar. Everything that matters happens at an altar. Your altar is where you meet God. Your altar is where God deals with sin uh, in your life. Repentance uh, takes place in an altar. Your heart responds uh, to the presence of God at an altar. God's blessings and provision for your life are secured uh, at an altar. God's healing touch uh, is loosed uh, at an altar. Everything you need from God uh, is obtained uh, at a place of prayer where you meet with God uh, and where God meets with you. If you need an answer from God, it can be found at an altar. If you need direction from God, it can be found at an altar. If you need deliverance from a spirit of oppression or from the clutches of depression, your deliverance is to be found at an altar. Let me make it personal tonight. You need an altar in your life. We, we needed altars for this church. We, we needed these, these places for somebody to come and pray. And I'm very thankful for Brother Donnie and the labor and the time and the attention that he put into him. I happen to know that he stripped one of them and stained it twice. Amen. A lot of time and a lot of labor and a lot of effort. Amen. And I'm thankful for it. But more than we need altars for this church, you need an altar in your life. More than we need these, these places to pray right here. You need a place that you pray every single day. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Sunday and Wednesday isn't going to cut it. It isn't going to make it. Amen. You need more than just an altar in the church house. Uh, amen. You need an altar in your personal life. You need a place uh, where you meet with God uh, and where God meets with you. It all comes down to a simple question. We can talk about revival. We can talk about a move of God. But how bad do we want it? How bad do we want the anointing of God? How hungry are we for a move of God? For the presence of God? For that abiding, I'm going to tell you something. I, I want the kind of presence of God to dwell in this house. Uh, amen. This sin is convicted when it comes to the door. Amen. I want the kind of presence of God uh, to abide in this place. Uh, that when the when the song service starts, uh, the worship begins to fall. Nobody's waiting on a cheerleader to get up and say, "Why don't you stand to your feet? Why don't you clap your hands? Why don't you give the Lord a, that there's something that just begins to flow? Uh, that the presence of God is tangible. Amen." That it, that it is there, amen, that you can feel it and experience. You know where that comes from? 
That comes from people who have an altar in their lives. Uh, you, don't, you don't come to church, and I want you to come early for prayer, but it isn't the prayer meeting at 930 on a Sunday morning that generates the presence of God. You don't have enough time in 30 minutes uh, to get where you need to get. Now, it's the presence of God is important, and that prayer meeting is important, and it's important that you come in and you put everything else out of your mind and get you get your mind fixed on God, but the kind of move of God that I want to see and the kind of move of God that God wants to give us comes from a private, personal altar that you carry with you the anointing of God and the presence of God on your life because you find it daily at an altar if we want to move of God in this church then we need an altar listen to your pastor the anointing of this church will never be bigger than our altars and the anointing on your life will never be bigger than your altar. But pastor, I, I, wanna, I want God to give me direction, build an altar. I want God to give me some clarity, build an altar. I want to know where I'm going. I want to know I need some answers for some questions that are nagging me. Build an altar, amen, because that's where God speaks to you. Uh, find a place uh, and dedicate yourself. Find a place uh, and separate yourself unto God. Tear away from all the stuff in this world, all the voices and all the entertainment, all the stuff that, that distracts you and shut yourself away in the presence of God and see if God doesn't give you direction. See if God doesn't give you clarity. See if God doesn't open doors that no man can open. It only happens at an altar. If you want to be used by God, then you need an altar. If you want to be used on the platform, you need an altar. If you want to be an usher, you need an altar. If you want to be a sound man, you need an altar. If you want to be a Sunday school teacher, you need an altar. If you want to be a worshiper, you need an altar. Uh, amen. You need an altar in your life. Uh, if you want the power of the Holy Ghost uh, to move and work in your life, then you need an altar. I know I sound like I'm a broke record. I'm sorry, it's not going to get any better. Let me tell you where the anointing comes from. The anointing comes from sacrifice. And sacrifice only happens at an altar. And if you don't have a fresh sacrifice on your altar then you're operating uh, without the power and the anointing that God desires to give you. Sacrifice is expensive. It's costly. It cost me something to make a sacrifice to God last Sunday night. I called this church a season of sacrifice. I asked you, and it was, it was not planned. It was something that was prompted by the move of God that happened last Sunday night, and I felt like God directed me, and I asked you to set aside uh, three days this past week and, and to make a sacrifice unto God. Amen. I didn't do that just because I like to. I, I enjoy making you deny yourself, or I didn't do that because I, I, I want to be able to beat my chest and say, well, the church is on a fast. I 
did that because we can't have anointing if we don't have sacrifice. Uh, amen. If there's not a fresh sacrifice on the altar, it's going to be dead in here. It's going to be dry in here. Amen. There's not going to be anything in here that's any different than what's in the church across town. Uh, it's the sacrifice uh, on your altar that brings the anointing of God. Uh, I want to operate in the power of God. I want to operate in the anointing of God. I want to operate, uh, amen, under the influence and the unction of the Holy Ghost. Uh, amen. But if that's what you want, uh, then you need a sacrifice on your altar. It's going to cost you something. The reason why altars are so important is because sacrifice is so expensive. The altar requires your best. Your best. Repentance isn't just about saying, God, I'm sorry. Repentance is about giving my whole man and my whole self everything that I have. To God, it takes my very best. When you neglect your altar, you give God something less than your best. Can I, I have a confession to make. I have two confessions to make. I like to cook. That's not a confession. But I cook a whole lot more than my family can eat. That is a confession. I just, Donnie, there's something. I just, I got to cook for an army. I don't, I, it's, it's that caveman instinct that come down to the, you know, while I'm cooking, I'm going to make enough that, bless God, this is the last meal we have for a week. We're going to have it. I mean, there's, I promise you, when I get done cooking, there's going to be leftovers. Now, here's the second confession. I really don't like leftovers. Sorry. I know that makes me hypocritical. Every time I cook, there's leftovers. I really don't care for leftovers. Something about leftovers, it's just, that was yesterday's good thing. I'm ready for today's good thing. Yeah, that, that was good yesterday. Something about the microwave just ain't as good as the grill. You know, the problem, the reason why we don't have the kind of power in our worship service that we want to have, the reason why we don't have the kind of anointing in church services that we want to have is because we bring God our leftovers. And God doesn't like leftovers any more than I do. We put our best stuff on the altars of entertainment. We put our best stuff on the altars of material gain. We put our best stuff on, on the altar that we have for, for the work and for the job and for all the necessary stuff in life. And we give God what's left over. I know that's uncomfortable. But that's what happens when you neglect your altar. It's arrogant to say, oh, I don't need to pray, but I can play or I can sing or I can preach or I can teach Sunday school or I can do anything that requires the anointing of God. It's an affront to the presence of God. It's an insult to the grace of God to say, I don't need you. Thanks, but no thanks. I, I've got this handled. Thanks, but no thanks. Whenever you neglect your altar, that's the message you send to heaven. That's the message you send to God. I can take care of this one on my own. 
I've got it under control. I don't need you, God. But when you build your altar, whatever you make the altar priority, you put God first. You give God your best because that's what the altar requires. You can't can't have an altar. You can't have an experience with God. You can't have that relationship with God and bring your leftovers to it. It just doesn't work. Uh, Amen. You realize real quick, I know how it is to have your morning prayer and just serve God leftovers. Uh, And I know how it is uh, to have your morning prayer and give God your heart. Uh, I know the difference between the two and I know that an altar compels you to realize and recognize I can't do this on autopilot I can't do this in my flesh I can't do this by myself I can't my power and my ability isn't going to get it done my talent doesn't mean anything if I don't have the anointing of the presence of God I need an altar in my life Because the altar compels me to put his house first. The altar compels me to seek first the kingdom of God uh, and trust that he's going to add to me everything else I need. The altar says, uh, I want your will for my life before it's more important to me than anything else in my life. That's what an altar does. The altar would challenge you. The altar will, it'll send you to your knees. It'll send you to repentance. It'll send you to a place uh, where you examine yourself and where your shortcomings become obvious uh, in the presence of God. But it also puts you in a place uh, where you let God begin to work uh, and begin to heal and begin to change uh, and change attitudes uh, and change your approach uh, and change the way you see things uh, and change the way you think about things. Uh, Amen. Whenever you have an altar in your life, The altar is where things that hinder your walk with God are consumed. The fire of the Holy Ghost. Brother McCauley just these nagging things. I just can't get over building an altar. This, 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 this sin that keeps nipping at my heels, these problems, this, uh, this bitterness I can't seem to get rid of, the, the, these thoughts uh, that I can't seem to get out of my mind, uh, the obstacles and stumbling blocks that keep you from being what God has called you to be are broken and destroyed only at an altar. Walking by pastor's office and saying, pastor, pray for me. That isn't going to break your yoke. Now, pastor's going to pray for you, and I believe God will work. Uh, Amen. But you need to build an altar, and you need to bring yourself uh, into the presence of God, and you need to lay your flesh on an altar. The altar is where you surrender to God. The altar is where I let go of my death grip on my life. And turn it over to God. It's where I surrender my will to God. It's where I pray, not my will, but thine be done. True submission to God can only be accomplished at an altar. The altar is where people set themselves apart to God, where they consecrate themselves to the Lord. The altar is where I become a living sacrifice. The altar is where I submit my life to God. The altar is where I deal with my flesh. It's at the altar where the old man is crucified in the presence of God. If you're going to die daily like Paul did, my friend, you can't do that any other place than an altar. The altar is where I enter into the presence of God and say, Lord, search me. Know me. 
know my thoughts. I don't even know my own intentions. I don't even understand my own ways. I'm a pro at fooling myself. I'm asking you, God, search me and know my thoughts and know my ways and know my intentions and judge if there's anything not like you, God. Let a convicting power and presence of God come over my life. Altars are about confession. It's a place where you stand in the presence of God and you confess your faults. You know, some things you can't share with anybody else, but you can share them with God. That's the only way you're ever going to get the victory over them is when you confess uh, in the presence of God. Uh, An altar is where you deal with sin. An altar is where you deal with character traits and things that are taking you away from the presence of God. An altar is where you deal with pride. An altar is where you deal with bitterness. An altar is where you deal with that that apathy that gets a hold of your soul. You take it to an altar and you confess before God and you put it under the blood of Jesus. That happens at an altar. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 3 said it. 13 said, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. If you cover up your sins, uh, my Bible said you're not going to prosper. Uh, if you cover up your sins, uh, amen, you're, 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 you're headed for trouble. Uh, but if you confess your sins, uh, that only happens in an altar, my friend. Uh, if you confess your sins, uh, God has promised uh, to have mercy. Uh, God has promised to uh, to forgive. Can I tell you something? Secret sins, hidden sins, sins that are covered up and nobody else knows about, they only develop in lives where altars are neglected. That's the truth. Like it or not, when you meet God at an altar, His holiness, his righteousness convicts sin in your life. When you meet God in an altar, in the the presence of God, sin becomes a burden that you cannot carry and that you cannot hide and that you cannot conceal. When you come into the presence of God at an altar, sin becomes obvious. Those things that you can't even see about yourself. When you get into the presence of God at an altar, all of a sudden you see them the way God sees them. And it has to be dealt with at an altar. The holy presence of God brings overwhelming conviction of sin at an altar. Many times our greatest problem is that we try so hard to live holy while we're not in the practice of exposing ourselves to the holiness of God. I won't say that again. The reason we struggle with righteousness is because we try to live righteous without spending time exposed to the righteousness of God. Yeah, we're trying to fight a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. We're trying to be 
I know I'm not going to try to reteach this morning Sunday school. I don't even have time to get done with what I'm teaching tonight. Amen. I'm not going to get back into that. But there's a reason why, amen, that the, the law of the Spirit is the only thing that can overcome the law of sin because you can't do it in yourself. You don't have righteousness in you. Paul said, there's nothing good in my flesh. I don't have it in me. Amen. I need his holiness. I need his righteousness. I need to be exposed to his presence uh, because his holiness deals with my sin. Uh, his holiness makes worldliness, uh, amen, become obvious in my life. His holiness makes me uncomfortable with carnality in my life. His holiness convicts me. It changes me. The altars where we meet a holy God. It's where we commune with God. It's where my inadequacies meet a God who's more than adequate. It's where my inabilities meet a God who's more than able. It's where my impossibilities meet a God who thrives in impossible circumstances. It's at an altar where my weaknesses and my insecurities and my shortcomings are, are met by one who makes me an overcomer through Jesus Christ. It's at an altar where my need meets my provider, where my obstacles encounter the way maker. It's at an altar where he speaks peace uh, into my troubled life. Uh, at an altar, he corrects my direction. Uh, he orders my footsteps. Uh, it happens at an altar. It's at an altar where we give thanks to God. It's at an altar where we lift our voices in thanksgiving to him for his blessings. It's at an altar where we praise God. It's at an altar where we set our burdens down uh, and we set our struggles aside uh, and we lose ourselves in the presence of God as we worship him. Too many times we're depleted and empty and worn out and physically depressed simply because we've not taken the time to go to an altar and lay our burdens down. Too often we're, we're absolutely physically wiped out. The stress of life is near to overwhelming us because we haven't taken advantage of the fact that I can go to an altar and I can lay it all down and I can take a praise break. And in the presence of God, there's a refreshing. And in the presence of God, there are springs of living water. And in the presence of God, uh, there's a wellspring of life uh, that flows up into me. Uh, I want you to know every single saint of God uh, needs a break from time to time. Uh, you need to get into the presence of God and find the relief that only comes uh, from the rest and the refreshing uh, of the Holy Ghost uh, that only happens at an altar. Our priority this month is families. And I want you to know that your family needs an altar. Hell is waging war against our families. Your enemy would love to destroy your marriage. Your enemy would love to wreak havoc in the lives of your children to destroy your home. How do you safeguard against that? Your family needs an altar. You need a place of prayer. Your family needs to know you pray for them. Your family needs to know you care enough to call their name before the throne of God. Your family needs a place where we can come together. Amen. Maybe we don't do it every day. Maybe we don't do it. I, I, I don't know how you do it in your home, but you need a place where you come together and you pray together. And, you, and my boys, when we go fishing and when we go hunting, amen, I, every single time we get in that truck and we take off in the wee hours of the morning, 
they're going to hear daddy begin to pray and say, Lord, on this day while we go do whatever dangerous thing we're going to do, I'm asking for your protection, and I'm asking for your provision, and I'm asking for your blessing. Amen. I'm asking you, God, to watch over us, and I'm asking you, God, to keep us. Mom and dad, you need to teach your children, not just by your words, but by your deeds, that the church is a priority in your life. You need to teach your children that serving God matters more to you than anything else. You need to bring your children to an altar in the house of God. You need to bring your family to an altar in the house of God. You need to teach them that everything good in your life comes from your heavenly Father. You need to teach them the importance of an altar. So the question tonight is how does an altar fall into disrepair? How does an altar get to the place where it needs to be rebuilt? It only happens by neglect. The only one that can damage your altar is you. The only way you can damage your altar is by neglecting it. The devil and all the minions of hell, as bad as they would like to, do not have the power or the authority to destroy your altar. You're the only one that can do that. You're the only one that can change the condition of your altar, that can damage it by neglect. Let's be honest. If my altar is in need of repairs, it's nobody's fault but mine. Oh, but now, Pastor, if I had more time, we've all got the same amount of time. Oh, but Pastor... If I wasn't so busy, there wasn't so much going on in my life. Priorities. Nothing in my life is more important than an altar. That which is neglected never gets better on its own. When you neglect something, it begins to deteriorate. And the longer you neglect it, the longer it deteriorates. And it will not change until you make up your mind that you're going to rebuild your altar. The first step to rebuilding your altar is to recognize that it's broke. And this is where it gets tricky. This is why pastor has been so forceful tonight. We are experts at deceiving ourselves. The way of a man, Solomon said, seems right to the man. If you aren't careful, you will convince yourself that there is nothing wrong with your altar. I mean, come on now, pastor. I, I pray when it really matters. 
I pray every now and then. I, I pray when something important is going on. I, I, I know how to build an altar when I need one. God and I have an understanding. He knows that I care about him, and I know that he cares about me, and I don't, you know, the altar thing that, don't fool yourself. When you neglect your altar, you drift away from the presence of God. That's an unchangeable law. That's Romans 7 in a nutshell. I taught it this morning. When you neglect your altar, you don't have any, no way at all to change it. When you neglect your altar, you drift away from the presence of God. When you neglect the things of the Spirit and what your spiritual man needs, sin gets a foothold in your life. When you neglect the altar, his righteousness gives way to self-righteousness. When you, when you neglect the altar, amen, you begin to drift away from the presence of God. And it is my prayer tonight that a convicting spirit of God will move through this house and make us, us, uncomfortable with the condition of our altars because we will not change unless we recognize the need for change. And it is my prayer, and I've asked the Lord, don't let us be satisfied tonight with neglected altars. Don't let us be satisfied with altars that have fallen into a state of disrepair. My goodness, uh, convict us, God. You see, the altars were broken down in Israel, and nobody seemed to care. Years, years went by, and nobody bothered with the altars. So Elijah gathered the people to himself, and he rebuilt the Lord's altar that had been destroyed. The Bible said he built it with 12 stones, just like it's supposed to be. He placed firewood on top of the stones. He, he, he put, an all, he put the, 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 a ditch around the altar, and he prepared the bull, and he put it on top of the wood of the altar. Then he did something amazing. He told the people to fill four barrels with water. I don't know where four come from. Maybe it's all they had. They brought four barrels of water, and they poured it on the altar, but four wasn't enough. He told them to go do it again. So when he got four more barrels of water, they poured that on the altar, and that still wasn't enough. He said, go do it again. Three times they brought four barrels of water and poured it on the altar. They soaked the sacrifice. They soaked the wood. They filled the trenches with water. The, the altar was absolutely drenched with water. You see, the challenge was for God to answer by fire. And Elijah made sure that when the fire fell, everyone would know that it was God who did it. He set up the impossible situation. And then finally, when it came time for the evening sacrifice, 
the prophet stepped forward and he prayed. And when he prayed at the altar that he had repaired, uh, the Bible said uh, the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and even licked up the water that was in the trench. Uh, If you don't hear anything else I've said tonight, listen to what I'm about to say. Let me tell you what happens when you rebuild your altar. When you rebuild your altar, you create a platform in your life uh, for God uh, to prove himself. Uh, When you rebuild your altar, uh, you create a platform in your life uh, for God to demonstrate uh, his glory and his majesty. When you rebuild your altar, uh, you create the arena in which the miraculous uh, takes place. And when Elijah rebuilt the altar, he set the stage for the mighty miracle, the outpouring of the presence of God, the fire that licked up the water and burned the, all, the, the sacrifice, the wood, even the stones of the altar, even the dust, and then licked the water out of the trench. You need a miracle? Rebuild your altar. You need the provision of heaven? Rebuild your altar. Do you want to see God change things in your home? Some of us, it's time we got sick and tired of what the devil's doing in our house. Some of us, it's time we got sick and tired of what the devil's doing in our family, in our children's lives. It's time to build an altar. You want to have revival in Lake City? Rebuild an altar. I stand behind this desk tonight uh, under the anointing of the Holy Ghost uh, to tell you with the full authority of heaven uh, that when you rebuild your altar, God is going to demonstrate himself uh, in your life. Uh, I stand behind this desk to tell you that when we make it a priority uh, to rebuild the altars in our life, uh, God's going to pour out his uh, his anointing. uh, He's going to pour out his spirit, uh, the fire of God is going to fall when you create the platform uh, that God's going to move on. Would you stand with me? I know I've been lengthy. But fire could not fall from heaven until the altar was repaired. Revival could not come to a nation until the altar was repaired. The situation in your home isn't going to change until you rebuild your altar. Your personal anointing isn't going to be revived uh, until you rebuild your altar. Deliverance isn't going to come until you rebuild your altar. Healing isn't going to be loosed uh, until you rebuild your altar. Uh, The purpose and direction that you need for your life uh, isn't going to be spoken into your life uh, until you rebuild your altar. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Most of us can quote it. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and we'll heal the land. I believe that God wants to show himself in your life. I believe that some of us stand in impossible circumstances, face terrible tragedies and storms, circumstances that are beyond our control. I feel the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost right now. God's getting ready to show out. God's getting ready to show up. The presence of God is getting ready to demonstrate. When you build your altar. Oh, hallelujah. I want so much to tell you revival is coming to this church, and I believe it is, uh, but I don't believe that's the message that heaven wants me to tell you right now. I believe heaven wants me to tell you revival is coming to your life. Revival is coming to your home. Revival's coming. There's a change coming uh, to the working atmosphere. There's a change coming to the circumstances that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. There's a change coming uh, in your relationships and the things uh, that hinder you and the things that you struggle with. Uh, God's getting ready to demonstrate himself. Uh, he only needs you to build your altar. <laughs> The full glory and power and authority of heaven is getting ready to be loosed in somebody's life. Uh, Amen. It's going to begin tonight, but it won't finish tonight uh, because you can't build what you need to build uh, just in a few moments in this altar. You can't build what you need to build uh, in the next 10 minutes. Uh, What you need to build, you need to spend some time. Uh, You need to say, okay, God, uh, I'm going to sacrifice. Okay, God, I'm going to set my alarm a little earlier. Uh, I'm going to get out of bed. Uh, I'm going to do what I need to do. Maybe Maybe you're an evening person, uh, maybe you're a noonday person, whatever it is, uh, you need to find a place uh, where you offer a sacrifice to God, uh, not just tonight, uh, not just tomorrow, not just every now and then. Uh, You need to build an altar and you need to put a sacrifice on it every single day because God's getting ready. There's a breakthrough coming. It's long, long overdue. Whenever Elijah built his altar. (laughs) There was a revival that happened. I believe God's getting ready to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you can't contain. I believe God's getting ready to show and demonstrate his power and his glory in your life. Uh, Amen. He's only waiting on you uh, to build again the altar of the Lord. I'm asking you right now if you come to this altar. Amen. I'm calling you to a place of dedication. I'm calling you to a place of consecration. I'm calling you to put the priority on the altar. Amen. To build again the altar. But I'm asking you to make a commitment to God that lasts longer than the next 10 minutes. uh, That lasts longer than the few moments of this prayer service. Uh, I'm 
asking you to make a commitment tomorrow, God. Uh, tomorrow when I'm, uh, I'm driving down the highway, when I'm standing in my shop, when I'm at my workstation at work, whenever I, uh, wherever it is that I find myself, uh, tomorrow, God, I'm going to build an altar. Uh, amen. And the next day, God, uh, I'm going to build my altar, Lord. Uh, and I'm going to keep a sacrifice there. And I'm going to spend my time uh, in the presence of God because God wants to anoint you to reach this city. Uh, God wants to anoint you to reach your family. God wants to anoint you to make a difference in your community. God wants to use you, but he's looking for an altar.